Welcome to Bizarre to Brutal, featuring true crimes and scandals that were reported in the hugely popular Victorian newspaper, The Illustrated Police News. What follows are the actual reports from that time. But first, a warning. The writers sometimes didn't hold back from giving the most intimate details of these events. But if you can stand it, you'll get a revealing insight into Victorian life and uncensored human nature. So let's walk back through the mists of time. of February, 1868. Assaulting a lady and shamming insanity. Robert Redwood, a labourer aged 23 years, was brought before Mr Paget on remand at the Thames Police Court, charged with violently assaulting Mrs Emily Waterson, the wife of Mr William Waterson, a gentleman residing at No. 9, Laura Terrace, Campbell Road, Bow. On the morning of Saturday the 8th of the present month, between the hours of 12 and 1 o'clock, Mr and Mrs Waterson were returning home from a party at the Bow Vicarage, when they were met by the prisoner, who carried a large family Bible under his arm. He addressed them and said, Good night. Mr Waterson returned the greeting with a, Good night, my friend. The prisoner passed by the side of Mrs Waterson, suddenly turned round and exclaimed, I'll have you, took hold of her shawl and twisted it and seized her by the throat. He also attempted to throw her on the ground and would have succeeded in doing so had not Mr Waterson struck him several blows. In fact, he gave him a sound thrashing and then gave him into custody. On the first examination, it was stated by the prisoner's friends that his mind had become affected by religious delusions. That on the day before he assaulted Mrs Waterson, he had been reading and expounding the scriptures to his fellow workmen in the engine factory of the North London Railway, where he was employed, and that some of them laughed at him. On which a workman named Richard Coe, a member of the Wesleyan Methodist body, begged of them not to treat him with ridicule because his health was affected by overstudy. He was in a very excited state when he was lodged in the station house, but quite sober. And his defence was that Mrs Waterson was dressed in white, and he thought she was an angel, and he must have her. The prisoner's landlady said she had never known him to be guilty of any violence until he assaulted Mrs Waterson. On Saturday, when the prisoner was brought up for the third time, Mr Paget said there was a certificate from the medical officer of the House of Detention that the prisoner was shamming and was of perfectly sound mind. Mr Paget said that a lady walking home from a party with her husband had been seriously assaulted by a young man who knew perfectly well he was doing wrong and was a tall and powerful fellow. He had no doubt the lady was greatly terrified. He sentenced the prisoner to one month's imprisonment and hard labour, in addition to the 14 days' incarceration he had already undergone. 
manslaughter of a wife. Joseph Budd, a labourer, living at a place called the Crooked Billet, Wimbledon, was charged at the Wandsworth Police Court on Tuesday with kicking his wife, Eliza Budd, and thereby causing her death. It appeared from the evidence that on Saturday the 8th, the prisoner and his wife were heard quarrelling in their room. The deceased afterwards went downstairs and told her landlady that her husband had kicked her twice and she had fallen on some wood. On the following day, she complained of being ill. She never recovered and died on Friday last. During the time she was ill, she was heard to tell her husband that he had given her her death blow. An examination of the body was made when it was found that death resulted from a rupture of the bladder. Inspector Egerton of the V Division said that when he apprehended the prisoner, he told him that he only touched his wife with a pan and she fell on some wood. Afterwards, he stated that he would tell the whole truth. When he returned home on the Saturday, after having had some beer, he found his wife washing. And that vexed him, as he had told her several times that he would not have the washing done on Saturdays. He said he would not have any more of it. And, as she was stooping, he struck her on the back with the pan, which had some water in it. He was in a passion, but he had no intention of killing her, and that if he had known it would have caused her death, he would have thrown the pan out the window. He never kicked her, though she accused him with having done it. Mr Payne, the surgeon, who attended the deceased, said he saw some logs of wood in the room, but he did not think the death was caused by her falling upon them, unless her husband fell upon her and added to the weight. When he examined the body after death, he found a bruise on the lower part of the back, and that corresponded with the statement which she made to him that while she was stooping down, the prisoner kicked her. The witness also said that he did not think a blow from the pan would cause the bruise, which was not on that part of the body where it could have been struck in that way. The deceased was three months advanced in pregnancy. The prisoner told the magistrate that he never kicked or touched his wife with his hand or foot. It was stated that the prisoner's boots had iron tips in front of them. The prisoner was then remanded for the attendance of a witness with whom he had had a conversation about the case. twenty first of march eighteen sixty eight prize fight between women the manners and customs of the nineteenth century it appears embrace female pugilism a young woman named mary callahan has just been committed to prison for twenty one days by the shrewsbury magistrates on a charge of being one of the principals in a prize fight on the banks of the seven Alice Davis, the other combatant, was unable to appear in consequence of being already in jail on another charge. The stakes, it was stated, were of comparatively trifling amount, but the contest 
was a very sanguinary affair and was pursued with great determination on both sides, the women moving off to another field when disturbed in that where the ring was first formed. The event drew together a large number of spectators, three of whom the police succeeded in taking into custody. We subjoin a brief account of the mill as reported in the local newspapers. A prize fight, more than ordinarily disgusting in its details, came of last week in the neighbourhood of Shrewsbury. The principals were women, named Mary Callahan and Alice Davis, and it was the vaunting of their prowess by their respective circles of admirers that led to an engagement to fight it out for a stake of five shillings. Arrangements having been made overnight, a ring was formed early in the morning in a field overlooking Shrewsbury from the opposite side of the river. The women came up to time, each accompanied by a second, and all went on to the perfect satisfaction of the assembled crowd, till, in the third round, Mary, smarting under a well-aimed blow, bit Alice on the arm. This procedure was reprobated by the partisans of Alice as a gross breach of the rules of the ring, and a general row ensued, during which the owner of the field came up and by threats of immediately fetching the police, succeeded in getting his land cleared. The champions were then led away to another field, where four more rounds were fought with varying success, but by this time the police came up and put a stop to further proceedings. The principals and three of the accessories were subsequently summoned before the magistrates and were fined in sums varying from 15 shillings to a guinea, with the alternative of 14 and 21 days imprisonment. Twenty-fifth of July, eighteen sixty-eight. Shocking murder in France. Two women, Marie Flutot, a domestic servant aged twenty-four, and her mother, Marguerite Merlet, have just been tried in Paris on a charge of murder. The victim was a lady named Chantereau, aged fifty and unmarried, but who, for more than twenty years had cohabited with a person named Forrest, a builder, and passed as his wife. She resided during the summer at a villa on the banks of the Marnet, at La Varenne Saint-Hilaire, at a short distance from Paris. Mr Forrest, being detained in town by his affairs, was always absent from his country seat during the week, and only arrived on Saturday evening to stay over the Sunday. At about half-past one in the morning on the 10th of August last, the house at La Varenne was discovered to be on fire. The flames were got under in an hour, after which the body of Mademoiselle Chantereau was found on a bed, which had only been partially burnt. The head was completely carbonised, but singularly enough, the body was only scorched, and the mattress on which it lay were not destroyed. This fact struck the persons who had come to render assistance, and the first impression was that a crime had been committed. Suspicion 
falling on the servant, Flutot, who was alone with Mademoiselle Chantereau at the moment of the disaster. But as Mr Forrest found his property in the house to the amount of over 300,000 francs, in cash and securities, remaining intact, and as the body bore no marks of violence, that supposition fell to the ground, and the fire and death of Mademoiselle Chantereau were considered to have been the result of accident. In February last, however, from information which Mr Forrest had received, a perquisition was made in an apartment at Bercy, occupied by the mother of the girl, Flutot, and a large quantity of property was found, consisting of bedding, linen, jewellery, articles of wearing apparel and so on, of the value of from 4,000 francs to 5,000 francs, all of which had belonged to the deceased lady. A judicial inquiry was then opened and showed that the murder must have been committed by the woman Flutol, assisted by her mother, who went frequently to visit her, and they were in consequence both arrested. The investigation proved that they had endeavoured to drown the unfortunate lady while she was taking a bath, and the fingers of the younger prisoner still bore the marks of a bite, which she had evidently received from Mademoiselle Chantereau while the latter was struggling in the water. The crime had apparently been effected by means of blows on the head. The two women had then removed quantity of property to the railway station to carry off and had finally set the house on fire to conceal the murder and robbery. The medical evidence showed that the head of Mademoiselle Chantereau must have been burnt, probably to remove traces of the violence used, before the body was placed on the bed where it was found. The previous career of the two women showed that they were of a dishonest and depraved character. The daughter had already undergone a condemnation to six months' imprisonment for theft in a previous situation. She had borne an illegitimate child, and since leaving the service of Mr Forrest, had cohabited with a man in the same room which her mother occupied. She showed great assurance on the trial, parrying the questions put to her with some ability. The circumstantial evidence was, however, conclusive, and the prisoners were each condemned to hard labour for life. On hearing the sentence, the girl Flutot, who had probably expected a capital punishment, could not restrain a smile of satisfaction, which excited the indignation of the public present and some cries of, ''Death! Death!'' were heard from the audience. You've been listening to Bizarre to Brutal. I'm Mark Capel. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support this podcast, climb into your handsome cab and head over to bizarretobrutal.com to find out more. See you next time. <laughs>